I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Saturday School. This is our third episode in our sixth season titled Asia Does Asian America, which is basically about Asian films that talk about the Asian American experience. Yeah, or some version of the Asian American experience. So today's film is the 1978 film Take Me Away! Exclamation points. Oh, so many exclamation points. <laughs> um, it's directed by Nobuhiku Obayashi. Who's best known for his wild horror comedy film, Haosu, which is a cult film worldwide. That was like a crazed ghost movie, a horror film. And in some ways, Take Me Away maintains some of that wild energy <laughs> into the world of youthful romance. Yeah, it's a sweeping romantic melodrama in all the best ways. It's starring Momoe Yamaguchi and Tomokazu Miura, who were big stars in the 70s. They starred in a lot of movies together. And did you know they're actually married in real life? I just read that, yeah. I just read that after I watched the movie. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just like, they're big stars, they're extremely good looking, and then they just love and brood and love again in this movie. Yeah. You call it sweeping, and it's so sweeping that the movie has to be called Take Me Away. Yes. And it's like so sweeping that it can't even be set in Japan. It has to be somewhere else. They're taken away to San Francisco, California. California. Which in the 1970s, kind of internationally, it's not just any place in the United States, but a certain kind of city of love. They meet kite flying. Through a kite next to the Golden Gate Bridge, it doesn't get more picturesque than that. Yeah. So it's about Kyoko, a girl from Japan who's on holiday in San Francisco, and Tetsu is a Japanese man living in America. He's only mm -hmm. been here for a year. It's not entirely clear what he does. It seems like he's running away from something. And then they fall madly in love. And it's kind of one of those, like, fantastical falling in love montage slash scenes that you see in movies that I think in real life you'd be like, this is a bad idea. But in movies, it's, like, magical. <laughs> <laughs> And I think the director knows how ridiculous stylistically it's so over the top. Yeah, I think when they fall in love, it comes in almost like a music video. So I thought it was fantasy. And then I was like, oh, it's reality. Yeah. <laughs> to add to the fantasy of the romance, they both have secrets. They're both not telling each other quite the whole truth, but their love is true. <laughs> as long as they don't talk about those things, their love will be pure. So let's talk about him as a Japanese man living in America. Because I think one of the things you had mentioned after you watched it is that this seems like a Japanese American immigrant character that there's no way a Japanese American would have written. Yeah, like I, when, especially like second generation and beyond, Asian Americans 
narrate the story of a recent immigrant from Asia, they tend to be disadvantaged. There's a lot of struggle of assimilation or other cultural conflicts. So I was actually thinking while watching this movie, when we talked about Curtis Choi's film Tupankai a few seasons ago, which is a film directed by a Chinese American, just a couple of years before Tick Me Away, that's set in San Francisco. And like Asian Americanness in there, you could tell like they're trying to find their freedom in Asian American performance as well. And trying to like perform the music of it and like to try to perform whether it's the poetry and trying to find their own language for talking about themselves. Yeah, but no, it's all form of like a different kind of frustration and anxiety. Yeah, right. It's a frustration about the racialization, whereas in Take Me Away, it's, it's like a relief from frustration. Yeah, it's like an escape. And they both take place in the exact same streets and they're both about sort of like Asian American, Japanese American characters. We have all that happen over and over in these films made by Asian Americans. Yep. Tetsuo's character, despite only being in one year, seems to have no problem fitting No. In. No problems at all. No problems at all. <laughs> he has a certain swagger that we saw in Kahonaho, too. It's like, there's a literally an equivalent scene in this movie to Kahonaho's disco number, where they're like in a disco club. And these Japanese people are just dancing and like singing and playing guitar as if this is totally normal. Yeah, and so like this globe-trotting Japanese character is just perfectly cosmopolitan and it's not having to face the difficulty of fitting in or not. There's struggle, but not in the assimilation kind of way. He's kind of a troublemaker. He's kind of a bad boy. Yeah, he's totally a bad boy. That's kind of fun, too, because I think when you think of, like, Asian Americans, especially kind of like your quote-unquote fresh off the boat Asian Americans, like, they're not the bad boys. They're not the, like, hot guys that you're not supposed to fall in love with, but you can't. Yeah. So that's kind of fun to see. And I think it's because of this, like, the racial logic of the U.S. where Asian Americans, when they think about their own identity, it comes from a point of oppression, like, this is an identity that emerges out of the need to acknowledge one's oppression. Whereas I think someone in Japan, like a studio in Japan or a director from Japan who has not had to go through that experience or doesn't think about the racial logic in that sense, being Japanese in America is not about oppression, but being about freedom and globetrotting. Escape, freedom, a sort of sense of privilege, maybe? Totally, yeah. And just a sense that the world is my oyster. Yeah. He walks down the street like he owns the place. Like he's yeah. like patting little kids on their heads. <laughs> just like, why not? I'm as much a part of this neighborhood as anybody else. It's like the 70s, so he's in like these tight clothes and he's like shirtless a lot and he's just so comfortable in his own skin. And like director completely plays with that a lot. There's like scenes where he's mowing the lawn. He's like wiping sweat off his neck and then there's like grass bits all over his sweaty torso. It's like so ridiculous, (laughs) (laughs) but so good. And then they're like just so glamorous people. Like they're so good looking. As opposed to thinking about the immigrants as this beat down character. San Francisco and America in general is just sort of this exotic location where you can fall in love. Kind of like Americans, we go to Paris and fall in love. Right. And there were similar films in this time where the films would be set in Paris. This just happens to be the one that's set in San Francisco. So this is less about like the Asian American experience, but more about the cosmopolitan Japanese experience. Yeah. Because I think when I was watching this movie, I wasn't in entirely clear what aspects of him he might have picked up from America or what aspects of him he just sort of had in Japan. Yeah, yeah. He was bringing it to America. And that's sort of like a nice thing too, instead of this idea of, and now I have to be like this in America. It's like, no, I'm just going to actually be my true free self in America because I don't have these restrictions Having seen a lot of Japanese films in the 70s, especially youth films, a lot of those films were about how oppressive Japanese society was onto the youth. Oh, really? Okay. Just like think like 
post-Japanese New Wave, a lot of like Rebels Without a Cause type characters. Ah. So a lot of those are kind of like, sexualized and violent. And this kind of takes it even further by having them seek the true freedom that they've been looking for. The movie begins with this Japanese tour guide taking Kyoko around the Bay Area. And he takes her to UC Berkeley. And he's talking about Berkeley, like standing in for America as this place of freedom. He uses that word freedom. And you get the sense that here, anything is possible. Your true self is possible here. And that manifests in the film in terms of love and sex and also music. They fall in love through music. Tetsuo's character, yeah, like you said, we don't really know what he does, but he plays a guitar at a club. <laughs> and so scene stealing and show stopping so whereas Kyoko is also a musical character like she plays a piano tuner which is like the opposite of rock and roll a piano tuner is the person who's trying to get to, to the perfection it's the ultimate like oppressed way of thinking about music like we must adhere to the rules versus the free music that Tetsuo represents in the United States singing these rock ballads in a club yeah, and then there's like a love triangle. I think Tetsu represents like the freedom of what you can be if you follow your heart. And then the Japanese man represents who you should be with. Yeah, and what you should do stands for like marriage and responsibility, sexual propriety. Yeah, it's kind of like Reality Bites, <laughs> where it's like, yeah, I guess maybe Ben Stiller is better, but I mean, Ethan Hawke plays the guitar. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to really make a case that Tetsuo is the better choice. <laughs> we, we don't know what he does. It is one of those movies where I think it's just sort of like, it's fun because you escape into the fantasy of this melodramatic love story. Because in real life, you're sort of like, this is not going to work. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> but I think what we get from him is a certain authenticity of the youth. Yeah. Like, I think we're defining like good mates by the rules, like the traditional rules of what makes you a good mate. Yeah. But maybe in the rules of young people and their true passions in the 70s in Japan, like he is the better mate. Uh, maybe. Shirtlessly, he's the better mate. <laughs> I mean, in real life, he was. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, but yeah, but I think we can think about like the possibility of a movie like this becoming a cult film for Japanese Americans or for Asian Americans. I mean, it, it totally is for me. Yeah, it's kind of campy, and Nobuhiko Obayashi's films are legendary for the camp appeal. So just stylistically, this film is a lot more generous in giving us that opportunity just to laugh at it a little bit, to be sucked away, but also to giggle at how ridiculous it is. So this is sort of the perfect movie to become maybe a cult phenomenon. And I think for Asian Americans, this is a fantasy. And one that doesn't exactly gel with our experience and what we know about our history. Yet it's like a weird alternative history that, I don't know, I, I love indulging in. And to tie that into just this kind of reckless, ridiculous love makes it all that much sweeter. It's never been released in the U.S., but it has been released on DVD and Blu-ray in Asia. So there are ways to find it. Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that feature stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our logo is by Grace Tallis Lee. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. Check out our website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast.com or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And the podcast Twitter handle is Wake Up Sat School. Next week, your assignment is to watch the 1987 Hong Kong film, An Autumn's Tale, with Chow Yun-Fat. Class dismissed.
Hey, have you guys heard of a collective of podcasts called the Potluck Podcast Collective? You should check it out. We're a part of it, as is the podcast. They call us Bruce with Phil Yu and Jeff Yang. And their most recent episode is with Randall Park and Mike Golomko, who co-wrote Always Be My Maybe with Ali Wong. It's the new Netflix special that just dropped. I'm sure if you're Asian American, you already know about this. But you can learn more about how the film came to be and LCC, the UCLA comedy troupe that started it all. Check it out and all the other podcasts of the Potluck Podcast Collective at podcastpotluck.com. See you next week. Mommy, you gotta go in now. Okay, say bye to Uncle Brian. Bye, Uncle Brian. Bye, Aria.